Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, Pathways Church, good morning. Thank you. A friendly church. I like you guys already. This is going to be fun. My name is Jordan. I'm a pastor down in the Chicagoland area. And I am so excited, honestly, just to get away from Illinois for a weekend and get a, honestly, and just get, get up to some Packer territory. We got some Packers fans in them. Come on. Now, help me out here. Is this true? Is your, is your pastor, Adam, is he a Bears fan? And you accept him as one of your own? You, you are a holy bunch, I can tell already. Well, Pathways, I'll tell you what, this is my first time here, and it's already found a super special place in my heart. My brother attends here, and my, my brother Bryson, he would say this himself, this church has grown his faith more than at any other time in his life. Er, it is. Earlier this year, I, I, I called him. I said, hey, I said, hey, Bryce, what's going on? How are you doing? He's like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm tired. You're, you're tired? Why are you tired? He's like, well, I haven't eaten in two days. I said, well, that's not smart. He said, no, no, I'm, I've just, I've been fasting. I'm like, wait, what? You're fasting? He's like, yeah, Pastor Adam just felt called by God to have our church start the year by just fasting and praying. And so I trust Pastor Adam with my life. And so I'm, I'm fasting. From that moment, if you knew my brother, I was like, all right, I got to meet this guy that got you to fast, which led me to this moment right here. And so I've gotten to know Adam and some of your other leaders here. Uh, And I want to just I want to say this. I I love to be able to come into other churches and just see what's going on. And I've been to a lot. Uh, The leaders here at this church are unbelievable. Uh, They are They are some of the most genuine, spirit-filled, God-loving, other-centered people I've ever met. And so I'll tell you, my brother's family is better. Your families are better. Appleton is better because this church is here. Do you guys believe that? Is that true? I want to pray. Father, this is all for you. This is for your glory. What we're here today to worship you, to make your name a bigger than our own. That's what we need more than anything. Speak to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We believe that you are a God. You love our praise, but you also love to speak through your word. And so here we are. We want to hear you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I have a theory. It's a working theory, but I think it's accurate. I think that the best way to get to know someone, the best way for you to get to know someone is... To listen to them pray. To listen to some pray. Because think about it. When you listen to someone pray, you get to hear what's important to them. But, but not only that, you also get to hear who's important to them, right? When you're listening to someone pray, you, you're, you're, they're opening up their heart and you're just able to, to really get a good look at what they care about. I had another pastor tell me that if you really want to get to know a church well, listen to how the church prays. And so I had Pastor Adam... Send me your church's prayer requests. You guys want to know what your church cares about? I was reading over this list. I'll tell you what. I saw prayer request after prayer request of people praying for their friends and their neighbors and their families and their co-workers to know Jesus. 
I mean, just all over these pages is the heart of the gospel. Saying that there is nothing more transformative than that, and that's what you want for people. It was so encouraging for me to see. And what else is that you, this church, you, you continue to see throughout all these requests, you're praying for people who are sick and suffering. You're a compassionate church. It's crazy. There's actually people on this list who's just opening up about sin. I mean, just freely to, to people saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm just going to be open. I'm going to be real. Pray for me. A lot of you facing big decisions and you're just seeking God saying, God, I don't know where else to turn, but I'm going to turn to you. I mean, it's just, it's amazing that some of the things that you're all praying for. Anyone reading this would get a, such a, a good, clear description of what's important to your church. Because you really get to know someone by the way that they pray. So think about this. What about Jesus? You ever thought about that? Like, what is what did Jesus pray for? Because we know Jesus prayed a lot, right? I mean, he's, he's Jesus. And the Gospels constantly record Jesus getting up early to go and pray. The, the Gospels constantly record Jesus heading to the mountains to go and pray. He even taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 5. You guys know what that was called? That, that was commonly called the Lord's what? The Lord's Prayer. But it's funny because that's not actually the Lord praying. That's the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray. So we know Jesus prayed a lot, but what did he actually pray about? We don't have a lot of passages of that, which was what makes this one that we're going to look at today so amazing. We're going to look at what today I call is the real Lord's prayer. And I think it is the greatest chapter in all of scripture. This is where Jesus is praying to God and he's allowing us to eavesdrop on his conversation so that we can see his heart. So we can see what the son of God cares about more than anything. Are you ready? If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to chapter John chapter 17. John 17, I love what people can engage with God's word. You can see it with yourself. I'm not making any of this up. I'd love for you to interact with your Bibles. If you didn't bring one, I'm going to have verses on the screen behind you. Feel free to pull it up on a phone, tablet, whatever it is for you. It's Thursday night of Passion Week. Dinner's been eaten. Feet have been washed. Judas just left the rest of the group to go run his shady errand. The disciples in Jesus, they start this long walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples, they're, they're all walking close and, and swiftly as they're trying just to get close to Jesus because they want to hear what he has to say. And Jesus, as he walks, he's teaching his disciples and his disciples, they're just drawn in by the conversation. Eventually, Jesus, he stops and he looks up to heaven and as effortlessly and as naturally as he was talking to his disciples, he starts to talk to his father. Look down at verse one. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father. Over the next 26 verses, Jesus is going to pray the greatest and longest prayer ever recorded in scripture. But his first word of this prayer is by far the most important word, Father. Father. The first thing that you have to understand if you want to pray to God is you have to first understand who you are praying to. You are not talking to someone who is so uh, this far off supreme being that doesn't have the time of day for you. You are not talking to someone who's zoned out and they're doing something more important than your petty concerns. Uh, you, you are not talking to an angry deity who's been waiting for you to finally come to him so he can t- tell you all of the areas of life that you fail at. You are talking to your father. You're loving, slow to anger. Gentle, kind, attentive father. 
once you get to know that you're, you have this awesome father, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to involve him in your life, which is what Jesus is doing. Verse one again, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. The hour's come. Jesus throughout his ministry has said, okay, the hour's not come. It's not my time. The hour's not come. I'm not ready. The hour's not here, but here, the hour's come. His mocking, his beatings, his death, it's coming near and he knows it. And so now Jesus, he has a decision to make, doesn't he? Do I, do I fight? Do I run? Or do I just do nothing? In this room, I know there's a lot of you, you're facing your own big decisions, you're facing your, your own obstacles in front of you. Counselors will tell you that you basically have three options. Three options, right? They're fight, flight, or freeze. Let's get to know each other a little bit here. I want to know, uh, in this room, raise your hand if, if there's a problem in life, like you, you just, you just attack it head on, you just want to punch it in the mouth. You're the fight people. Raise your hand if that's you. Right? You don't, you don't stay away from conflict. You go, come on, raise your hands. You're the fight people. There we go. Raise your hand if a problem arises and you're the flight people. You're like, where's the exits? There, 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 there. I know where I'm going. I'm getting out of here. You don't like conflict. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay? Couple. Now, the rest of you, if you're still deciding between if you are a fight or a, a, or a, or a flight person, I'm just gonna help you out. You are neither. You're a freeze person, which is why you can't make up your mind for something like this. Jesus, you know what Jesus is doing here? He's showing us that for the Christian and for the Christian alone, there's a fourth option. And it's not fight, go forward. It's not flight, go backwards. It's not freeze, do nothing. It's father, go up. It's father, go up. When you are in the most difficult, darkest, concerning moments of your life, you can go up. You can take all of your concerns and all of your fears and you can give them to the one who knows you best and knows what's best and he can help direct and give you guidance for your life. It's unbelievable. You can go up. Jesus goes up to his father. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you. This is a two-part outline. Part one, we're looking at verses one through five and this is where Jesus goes to his father and he starts to pray for himself. Jesus prays for himself. Let's see what the Son of God prays for. End of verse 1. Father, the hours come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Now the word glory in Scripture, it's an interesting word. I think we say this word a lot and we don't actually think about the meaning of it. But the word comes from the Hebrew word kavod. It, it means weight, significance, fame. God's glory, it is the weight, the significance of who he is. So in church, whenever you're singing glory to God, right? You ever seen that glory to God? You know what you're saying? You're saying, God, you are important. You are significant. You are valuable. That is why I worship you. That is why I praise you. That's why my life's all about you. Jesus is saying right here in this verse that the, his highest purpose, more than serving you, more than saving you, Jesus' highest purpose is to bring God glory. It is to show the world how significant and how important God is. As followers of Jesus, that is our highest purpose. Our highest purpose is to show people the glory of God by the way that we live. To reflect how awesome Jesus is. I like to think of us being made for the glory of God like a statue. Like a statue. So, so help, help me out here for a second. What's the most famous or important statues you guys can think of? Someone throwing out. 
Statue of Liberty, that's good. America, give me something better though. Give me something bigger. What was it? The sinker. You are very astute, but no, that is not it. Give me, give me one more. One more. Think, come on guys, think bigger. Mount Rushmore, Jesus, you're so spiritual. No. Think Rocky Balboa big. Now, I I am not personally a film critic, but I will say that Rocky 3 and 4 are hands down some of the best movies to ever be made. Now, here's the thing, though, about this statue. While this statue's cool, while it's significant, you can get like a cool selfie with it. It's awesome. This statue in and of itself, well, it's not glorious. Meaning that that the, the, the real Rocky, this statue, it'd be nothing without him. Just think about it. This statue didn't fight Apollo Creed. The statue didn't beat Mr. T. This statue didn't go 15 rounds with Soviet communism. Rocky did. And it was awesome. This statue was made to give glory to Rocky. You and I, in the same way, we were made to give glory to God. God made us like these little living statues And we're just supposed to walk around with our hands held high and we're supposed to live our lives showing people the awesomeness and significance of God. That's your purpose. That's why you were created. To reflect God's goodness and greatness to the world all of the time. You embrace that? Is that your mission? Is that what wakes you up in the morning? That's what wake Jesus up. That's what what, what was on Jesus' heart. Verse 1. Jesus prays again, Father, the hours come, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Jesus starts by praying for himself, but this is interesting. He doesn't pray selfishly because remember, Jesus is going to the cross right now. The the hour has come. So out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, he could be praying for comfort. He, He could be praying for a light death. He could even be praying just to skip the cross, but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus is praying, God, as I get crucified, may you get glorified. Jesus is praying that through the worst moment of his life, through the worst tragedy that you could possibly imagine, as Jesus goes through hell, that he reflects who God is. Okay, I'll go first. (laughs) That's just not how I pray. Am I alone here? That's just not, my first prayer is, okay, God, uh, as as I, it's not as I suffer, help me give you glory. My first prayer is God, remove all forms of suffering and then I'll give you glory. Imagine this. Let me take those prayer requests out. Imagine if instead of the church's prayer requests I had here, imagine if I had a transcript of everything that you've prayed for in the last week. What would be on these pages? What would be, what would you pray for last week? Was it pray for blessing? You pray for promotion, pray for comfort. What'd you pray for? Maybe more serious, maybe some of you, you just this whole week, you've been pleading to God for your prodigal to come home. Maybe you've been pleading to God, just praying that the test come back negative. Maybe you've been praying to God to just remove all forms of suffering from your life. And that's okay. That's not, that's not a bad thing. God wants you to bring those concerns to him. But how many of you on your list would have what Jesus prayed for? That God, come what may, come whatever happens in my life, I just, I want to give you glory. How many of you have that on your list? God, even if I never get the job, 
Even if we never get pregnant, even if my spouse never reciprocates the love that I'm trying to show, help me reflect your glory. Help me reflect who you are. Do you guys pray that for yourself? Because if Jesus prayed it for himself, how much more important is it that we pray that for ourselves? God, come what may. Come, come what may. Whatever's thrown at me, come hell or high water, help me give you glory. Help me show the world how awesome you are. Jesus prayed for himself. And then the next part, Jesus proceeds to pray for Christians, both those who were present in that day, praying for the disciples, but also praying for the billions of us who would come after. In short, this is the second part of the outline. Jesus prays for himself, and then Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us. This is the longest section of Jesus' prayer because, frankly, we're a mess and we need a lot of help. Let's look at this. Out of all the things that he could have prayed for, out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for for you, look at verse 9. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they're yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Again, right there, that's our purpose. We give God glory by the way we reflect him. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Skip down to verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Okay, let's just start by stating the obvious, okay? The world we live in is messed up, isn't it? Can we all just agree? Like, consensus. I mean, I don't know if we need to clap about it, but it's just, like, it's just messed up. It is what it is. I mean, every, every time I turn on the news, I see some new bill, some new war, some new fight, some new agenda that's just blatantly anti-God and anti-Christian. This world and this country's values, they're not getting closer to God's word. They are getting farther. They are getting darker. And as Christians, you know what we love to do? We love to complain about how dark the world's getting. We love to complain about it. We share the news articles. We message friends. We pull our kids out of everything. And we talk about how the Amish might be onto something by secluding themselves, right? We're like, those bunkers seem like a pretty good idea right about now. And in one sense, I get it, and I like it. I think that as God's people, we should have this internal tension. Because Jesus even says to us, hey, this is not your home. You don't, you don't belong here. But then he says, but, but Father, don't take them out just yet. Like, my, they need to stay. They need to stay in the mess. They need to stay in the chaos for a little bit longer. I want to point out four things that Jesus is praying for us in this chapter. Number one. Jesus is praying that as the world gets darker, that we stay put. Which again, come on, how many of you are praying the opposite? God, I don't want to stay put. I, w- I want to leave. I want out. How many of you, you're struggling, you're just in this like, you're in a toxic work environment, and every day you leave for work and you just dread it. You're like, oh, I just, I don't want to go there because the way that people speak to each other, it's just so negative. And there's, I hate the backstabbing and you hate the culture. It's just dark. And so you pray, God, take me out of there. Take me out of there. I want to work at a nice Christian place like Chick-fil-A or something, right? Like, I, I want to work somewhere just that it's healthy. Or, or some of you, you come from a rough family. And you dread, you know, you just dread every family get together you have. And so you already, you got a whole book of excuses just lined up, right? Car broke down. Sorry, I can't come. Work called me in. Uh, 
man, sorry, I'd love to come. I got COVID again. Your mother-in-law's like, really? That's weird. You've had COVID like eight times this year. You're like, yeah, just going around. Maybe you're, you're a new Christian and you, you have this, you're just really excited. You meet those people, it's just awesome that you have this new hatred for sin. You got this new love for God. You want to leave your job. You want to leave your friends. You want to leave your world and become a pastor or go into ministry or become like a monk because apparently that's what holy people do. Listen, you, you gotta know that's just not true. Yes, the world needs more Christian pastors. I believe it. But you want to know what else the world needs? The, the world needs teachers who are Christian and operate their classroom according to God's standards. And, and the world needs business owners who are Christian and do business with a Christian's integrity. Heck, your family, as crazy and jacked up as they might be, they need you to go to that family gathering to be a source of love and peace. Jesus did not pray, hey, take Christians out of the world, because if you would take Christians out of the world, you take Jesus out of the world. Now listen, I I know this point requires a lot of wisdom. Because I'm not saying that Jesus is commanding you to stay in the job you hate. And I'm not saying that Jesus is commanding you to have no boundaries with your family. And I'm not saying that Jesus is commanding you to keep your kids in an environment that you're not comfortable with. That needs to be clear. But you got to get Jesus' main point. Jesus' point is that you as a Christian were kept here not to just complain about the darkness, but to impact it. And you can't impact something that you just keep running away from. Ask Jonah how that went for him. If you're new to church, he got swallowed by a whale. So look at verse 17. This is the next thing Jesus prayed for. He prays, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So Jesus says, okay, Father, my my people, they're going to stay in the world, but I don't want the world staying in my people. I want them to be holy. You know what holy means? Holy means set apart. It means different. It's a great word, different. That, That perfectly describes the gap between the world's values and our values as Christians. They're just different. And culture is getting more and more extreme and more loud and more aggressive with their views, and that's okay. We should expect that. We don't got to freak out. We should expect that. But also, as followers of Jesus, we have to get deeper with our own beliefs and convictions. That's the next point, is that as the world gets darker, we go deeper. We go deeper. As culture digs deeper into their beliefs and convictions, we dig deeper into our biblical beliefs and convictions. Because the more that you're in the world, the more you need to be in the word. Isn't that true? Some of you are like, Jordan, totally, that used to be me. I was like the greeting card Christian. I had one verse, I'd click my heels, I'd go to work, I thought I was good. But now you're like, that's not really working anymore. I need a little bit more. And you're right, we need more of the word to endure more of the world. We need more of this if we're going to be out in the world. Which is why Jesus prays, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word. There are two approaches to the word. One is this, this book, this God's word, it is my authority. It is over me. And when I come in contact with something in this book that I disagree with, I'm wrong and I need to change. I don't criticize the word. I let the word criticize me. The other approach to God's word is this. I am over this book. I am the authority of my life. And when I come in contact with something in this book that I disagree with, well, 
this book is wrong and God needs to change. I, I don't have the problem. This outdated, irrelevant book has the problem. God needs to change. I'm telling you, as this world gets darker, there are going to be more and more people who are going to be very compromised on the word of God. There are people who are going to be joining praise for things they should be having funerals for. Be careful. I'm telling cultures come and go. Isms come and go. Praise, hashtags, movements, they come and go, but the word of God endures forever. I tell you what, you, you are part, and you gotta know this, you are part of an amazing church. When I asked Adam, I said, hey, what do you want me to preach on? He says, I want you to fire up my people about the word of God. I want you to fire up the people about the word of God. You guys see those bookmarks, this is what this whole series is all about. So it's about to get you guys to fall in love with the word of God and also to get you to know it so well. Pathways, you see, the, you can take those bookmarks now. I'm teaching on a powerful method. It's called the chapter analysis method. It's simple, but it's powerful. This is how I do my devotions every single morning. You take a chapter, take one chapter, you read it a bunch. Then you go through it, mark it up. I hope you have a Bible that you're able to mark up. You circle, you circle key phrases, key people, places. Then you take, then you take a step back and you just look at all the lessons that this is telling you. I'd write down two to three lessons every single morning. And from those lessons, there's usually always at least one lesson that God is saying, Jordan, that's for you. I want you, that, that's for you. I want to teach you. I want to encourage you. I want to convict you. I want to shape you with that lesson. Take that and then pray over it. I'm telling you, as you start to do this every day on a daily basis, as God's word, as it starts to inform you, it's actually going to start to form you. See, we are formed by what informs us. I got two little boys. I got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Pray for me. But you, you know, I love them. But you, you know, one of my, the coolest parts about being a dad to little kids is that I am the number one information hub in their life. Especially with my four-year-old right now who's just extremely curious and he has these super sonic hearing. When the whole, you guys remember the whole, the whole war when it started with Ukraine and Russia? Well, my son heard someone talking about it and you know what he didn't do? He didn't pull out his little tablet and then pull up MSNBC. Right? No, you know what he did? He, he came and he asked his dad, what's a Ukraine? And then I told him about the war. And then we sat down and we prayed together. And then for the next several weeks, I got to hear his sweet little voice pray peace over the people of Ukraine and Russia. When my son has a question about the world, he goes to his father. When you have a question about the world, when you have your own life issues, when you have your own cultural debates, do you go to your father? Do you go to your father? You go to his word, it is his word and is your father the number one source of information for your life. Jesus prayed it would be. And then what he prays next is interesting. Look at verse 18. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. Jesus says, I'm sending you with your different values and standards into the world so that you can impact and win those in the world. But here's the problem with that. And maybe you've noticed this in your own spheres and, and circles of influence. How do you win people when people don't like what you believe? You thought about that? Like, how do you win people when people just don't like when you, what you believe? 
I remember sitting in a Christian lecture about human sexuality and culture. And in the lecture, a student raised his hand and said, Professor, because our Christian beliefs about sexuality are so countercultural, how do we do it? How do we influence people to God when people find our beliefs offensive? Isn't that a good question? Well, the professor said something so good. He said, as the world rejects more and more of our views, we need to show them more and more of our love. I.e., as the world gets darker, we shine brighter. Jesus said, Father, you sent me into the world. And I gave myself as a sacrifice. And so now I'm sending my followers into the world so they can give themselves as a sacrifice for others. There is one defining characteristic for followers of Jesus that should just consume your life. And that should be people should see you as a sacrifice for other people. That you're just a servant. As Christians, we need to get to the place where people can look down on us theologically, but they can't look down on us for for how we love unconditionally. We need to get to the place where, where non-Christians can look at us and think, you know what? Those guys are, cr- they got some crazy beliefs, but they're great people. You know what? I don't, I don't want to be one of them, but you know what? I, I'd hire one of them any day. Or you know what? I would love to work for one of those Christians because they're always so kind and they pay amazing. Heck, I don't want to be one of those Christians But I wouldn't mind my daughter marrying one of those guys because I know he's going to take great care of her. Okay, again, I don't want to be a Christian, but I do hope they're my neighbors. Because we had Christian neighbors one time, and despite the wacky things they believe, they are the most loving, caring, and generous people I've ever met. We shine bright, not by going around and being super loud about our beliefs and then judging people who have no interest in following God. We shine bright by the way that we love people. Love people. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. And then what? Glorify your father in heaven. Another verse says, be good to everyone, but especially or even more so be good to fellow believers, which is what Jesus prays next. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you've gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as I, even as you have loved me. This is a big verse. It's all about love. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And he wants his, he wants his people. He wants us to love each other and be united through that kind of love. Here's the last point. I want you to write this down. As the world gets darker, we need to get closer. Unity is the spirit. Unity in the spirit. It is the precious vehicle that drives the mission forward. Because when we are a united, loving, gracious, joyful family, guess what? Others want to join it. You don't have to answer this out loud. But how many of you, you have a just dysfunctional family growing up? How many of you were so, you had such a dysfunctional family that you were embarrassed to invite other people over? Right? Because your family was just nuts. I know, I know some of you feel like that way. Now, church family, it's just like your family. We need to be a healthy, loving, unified family so that other people want to join it. So that we're excited to bring people over. 
And, and if we are going to stay unified as a church, we have to stay away from dividing over dumb arguments and dumb things. But Jordan, what constitutes something is dumb? That's pretty subjective. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. I, I want you to think of it like this. As Christians, we have two hands. And in one hand, we have the things in, in scripture that are, these are essential to our faith. These are the things that make someone a Christian. These are things that scripture and, and the historic church has always been clear on. Things like the resurrection of Jesus, the Trinity, God's word is final authority, eternal life. These are things that we have to agree on in order to be followers of Jesus. And so you know what we do is we close this hand. This hand is now our fighting hand. We will fight, we will brawl, we will divide if we have to over this hand. But then in this hand is all of the opinions. Things like the songs we sing here. Things like the people you vote for. Things like Pastor Adam being a Bears fan. Right? Like, hey, let him have his opinion. And feel free to have loving, gracious conversations over your opinions. But don't fight over it. Don't divide over it. Don't Will Smith anyone with this hand. Right? I didn't know if that was too old, but no, that's still funny. That's good. I'm glad I did that. I'll tell you what, it was, it was crazy over the last couple of years to watch this play out in the church on a national scale. By God's grace, it didn't happen to my church in Chicago. And by God's grace, it didn't happen here, but I've seen it. Over and over the last couple of years, I've seen churches split in half because of masks. I've seen churches split in half because of vaccinations. I've seen churches split in half because one group wanted to protest and another didn't. And it was heart-wrenching for me to watch. I can only imagine what Jesus feels. Watching his bride and his family turn on itself over different opinions and viewpoints. Come on, you know this. Healthy families are not healthy families because they think 100% alike. Healthy families are healthy because they have the same core values and then they give grace to everything else. It's unity in the essentials and Christian liberty and everything else. This is what Jesus is praying for. That as the world gets more divided, we get closer. Hey, let the world argue. Let the world fight over politics. Let the world bash each other on Facebooks and complain. You know what that's going to do? That's just going to make this place feel like a breath of fresh air when people come in. They're going to come in and they're going to be like, wait, uh, you guys have different uh, different opinions and you still love each other? Yeah, because we love Jesus above everything else. That's what this is about. All right, that's it. What a prayer, isn't that? That is what Jesus is praying for. We talked at the beginning about getting a sneak peek into the heart of Jesus and this was it. Hey, you want to see what Jesus cares about? He cares about the glory of God more than anything else. You want to see who he cares about? He cares about you. He cares about his church. He cares about the impact that we're going to play and make on this world. But I want to end by telling you the most encouraging point. To this day, every time I think about it, it blows my mind. Are you ready for it? Jesus is still praying for you. See, when I think about Jesus praying, my mind goes back to history. 
So my mind goes back to Jesus praying in the garden. Or my mind goes back to Jesus praying at the Last Supper. My mind goes back to Jesus praying in history. But what's wild to me is that Jesus, right now, in this very moment, is praying for you. He's praying for you. Hebrews 7 and Romans 8, they both say that after Jesus died and rose again, he also ascended to to heaven where right now he is at the right hand of God interceding for you. That means he's praying for you. My wife and I, Lindsay, we love our kids with our whole heart. And so every day we talk about our kids and what they need. God the Father and God the Son, they love you as a child of God. And every day they're talking about you and what you need. Think about that. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he sees everything you're going through. He sees it. Every pressure that you're facing. He sees every point of pain and suffering. And he prays for you. Right now, he's praying for you. Jordan, what's he praying? Well, he's praying that you stay and that you impact the darkness. And he's praying that you get to know him better. That you get deeper in his word. He's praying that his love which put him on the cross for this church, would keep this church together, would keep you close to your brothers and sisters. Before we leave, I want to ask you, where do you need to live out Jesus' prayer? Where can you actually answer Jesus' prayer request for you? I want you to close your eyes. I love that Pathways is big on making commitments here, making decisions. We don't leave the text and say, oh, that sounded nice. No, we leave the text and say, God changed me. I know some of you here right now, you are in a, in a tough, dark environment. But I think some of you know that you've been put there for a reason. You've been put there by God to impact the darkness. And you're getting tired. So some of you right now, you got to recommit to being that light. And if that's you, if you know that God is speaking to you, that I want you just to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm in a dark environment and I need to be the light. Raise your hand nice and high. Make this commitment to the Lord. Others of you, you're getting swayed by the world. You know, if you're going to last, you need more of the word. You need, you need to dive more into God's word this week. You got to have a deeper hunger and a deeper commitment. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. That's me. I need more of the word to endure more of this world. Awesome. Hands up everywhere. Others of you, in your spirit, the enemy has been trying to divide you from brothers and sisters in Christ. You know it. You, you, you sit with, maybe it's in your small group. Maybe it's something in this church. You just need to recommit to, no, no, no. It's unity. It's Jesus. It's Jesus above everything else. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Awesome. Praise God. Lastly, some of you in this room... You can't call God Father yet. You've never even prayed like Jesus has prayed because you don't see God as your Father. You don't see this room as your brothers and sisters because you're not part of the family yet. You know yourself. You know that you've lived your life for your own glory. You've walked in darkness and now you're over it. The darkness has left you in the dark and you want the light. If you want to give your life to God right now, you can do that. If you want to give your life and say, God, I want to live for your glory. I want to live to show people your significance above everything else. I want to see your hand. And if you're watching online, you can even just type in the chat. I'm giving my life to Jesus. His glory. Raise your hand nice and high. For Maybe for the very first time, I want to give my life to Jesus. Awesome. Praise God. There's hands in this room. Church, can we join these people in praying this prayer out loud together? 
God, thank you for being my father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I'm sorry for living my life for myself. Forgive me. Place your Holy Spirit inside of me. Help me impact this world. And live for your glory alone. And Jesus, resurrected name, we pray. Amen. Hey, can we give it up for all the decisions made here?